Father, I do thank you for this day. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the faithful preaching of your word that we receive. Thank you for those that have gone before us, that lived and set examples for us, Father. I just pray that uh, you would help me now to be able to present your truths clearly, that you would be with our, our Sunday school class, that we would be hearing and receiving. And Father, uh, that we would not just be hearers, but we would be doers. We would be applying these truths to our lives so that we would be what you truly desire us to be. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're jumping back into Acts. We are in Acts chapter 20. Um, and I looked at this text and I was like, yes, I'm going to like, it's time to make some big leaps, some giant jumps as we just try to get through chapter 20 here of Acts. And so I've planned on, I've got two weeks this week and next week, and I planned on finishing up chapter 20. I can tell you after my studies that that is not going to happen. Um, so uh, I am going to try to encompass three verses, but really primarily off of one verse. David left us off with... Uh, Paul being in uh, Ephesus, he is, or not in Ephesus actually, uh, he is called for the Ephesian elders to come to him. This is his, his farewell to them. Uh, so uh, in verse 17, if you're in Acts 20, it says, For uh, from Miletus he sent to, the, uh, uh, to Ephesus to call to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day to, uh, that I sent foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the uh, plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from... Uh, declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you uh, publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of uh, repentance towards God and faith in the, our Lord Jesus Christ. So as, as you're looking at this, understand this is Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders, all right? Uh, he is getting ready to press on, and he is now going to start describing uh, what is already been really revealed, what is lying before him, right? Um, so he counts the cost of the suffering. So he, he has, he's been under suffering. He's, he knows he's no stranger to persecution, right? He, he's had the weightiness of this being pressed on him uh, really everywhere he goes, right? And so, uh, you know, I think Romans 8.18 really kind of puts a big picture on, on some of Paul. Uh, for I consider the suffering of the present times are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so that's Paul's perspective. And it's not just something that he's writing to other people and telling other people. He is demonstrating that with his life. That's what we are to be. That's what we're to be doing. We're not just to know God's word. We're to be sharing God's word. And not just sharing God's word. We're supposed to be living God's word. 
And so this is Paul's desire. <coughs> and he knows that the suffering of the present time doesn't compare, it pales in comparison to eternity that's yet to be revealed. But because he knows the person and nature of God, he has confidence that what God has said is good and right and true. And so we jump back into Paul, Paul's letter to the Ephesian, or his uh, farewell speech to the Ephesian elders with verse 22, uh, is where we'll pick up. And it says, And now, uh, behold, bond, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear, uh, <clears throat> as dear to myself, so that I may finish the course in the ministries which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And so he is saying, <clears throat> I'm going to Jerusalem, and I understand that this isn't going to be an easy trip. But I'm not going to shy away from it. And so this is where I bogged down in my studies, is bound by the Spirit. Just those few words just really hit me hard, stalled me out, not in a bad way, but in a good way in regards to digging to the depths of what that is. And so to be bound by the Spirit is to be joyfully bound to God's commands and obey them through the power of the Holy Spirit and the uh, resources He has given you knowing this is for your good and His glory. So first we need to look at, as being bound by the Spirit, is the authority of God's Word. So how God spoke to Paul, we don't exactly know. He doesn't, how the Holy Spirit bore witness of this to him, we don't exactly know. Paul was an apostle, so he had visions, he had dreams, he had direct revelation from God. All right? He was an apostle. He received these things. But also, the word of God was not foreign to him, right? He studied the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament. So he had the resources of the Old Testament also. We ourselves don't get spoken to God in that way because we have the completion of Scripture. And God has spoken to us. He has given us his word Men moved by the Holy Spirit penned Scripture, okay? And so understanding the authority of God's Word is very important. Uh, and so it was authoritative to Paul, bound by the Spirit. It is, a, it is an authoritative thing that he is understanding. It's not that he is physically bound, it's not God dragging him, kicking and screaming, but he is spiritually bound. And so God is 
convicting him and pressing him that way, and he has given him this charge. We have God's word. We are also bound by the Spirit. You're not going to receive a revelation. You're not going to receive the, these direct communications from God in the way that the apostles did. You have got his word, and so lean on it. But first I want to talk about an aspect of being bound by the Spirit. And the first thing that's needed is to be poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit. So he wasn't physically bound as in God dragging him. But he was bound by the Spirit just as any Christian is to be uh, poor in spirit. And so, to follow the example of Christ when he said, not my will, but thine be done. This is less of a decision and more of a calling, and the decision is to not fight against God, but trust in him that he will cause all things to work together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. He has promised that if you are seeking to glorify God, if that's your heart's desire, if that's your goal to bring glory to God, when you, when you pray, when you are, are seeking to direct and live your life, that goal is going to be accomplished. It may look differently than what you think it should look like. But if your goal is to glorify God, guaranteed, God is going to see that through. And so Paul's being bound to the, to the Holy Spirit is that he is poor in spirit. That his spirit is not going to fight against what God is compelling him to do. He's not going to to kick against the pricks anymore. Remember uh, when he's on the road to Damascus and he is going to persecute Christians and the, the Lord appears to him on the road and what he says is, is Paul, why are you kicking against the goads is the old word, but it's, it's kicking against thistles. You're, you're you're taking the hard route. Why are you kicking against me? Why are you striving against me? So Paul has already seen, demonstrated in his life, how God's will will be done, how his work will be accomplished. And so it's a lot easier if we're poor in spirit than if we're proud in spirit. Jonah figured that out the hard way. He, he tried to fight against God. King Saul. Saul, uh, I love, uh, I do love it because it's God's word and it's for us. Uh, Saul has, has gone. He's supposed to destroy uh, the Amalekites and he doesn't. And they, they've got saved some of the livestock and they spared King Agag. Uh, and uh, Samuel comes, and this big mess is going on. And he says, God is going to remove the kingdom from you and from your family. And Saul's response is, 
wow, that really stinks, but would you mind walking out of the tent with me so that other people think that we're united because I want to look good in front of other people. And then when David is anointed, Saul meets his end by trying to fight against the will of God. Don't be one of those. Be poor in spirit, like Paul, all right? That is to, to trust in God. Again, we don't receive direct revelation from God the way the prophets and apostles did. Uh, we don't need it because we have uh, everything we need for life and godliness in his word. Which, uh, so as a Christian, we are bound by the Spirit to obey God's word fully, even when uh, poverty or suffering or even potentially death is on the line. So as a Christian, we are called to obey God fully. Even when big things are on the line. I'll tell you, it's easy to think about uh, sacrifices that you're willing to make yourself. But when you become a parent, when you become a father or a mother... And the things that you do impact your kids. And you're thinking about your, your career difficulties or uh, if I do this, then other things are going to impact my children. That, that just puts a whole new perspective on it, right? Do you trust God with your children's lives? That's huge. Put yourself in that, that position for a minute and just think about, you know, I trust God with my life, but do I trust God with others' lives? Or when that looks bad, do I try to grab control of that, right? And so to what end are you willing to follow God? And that is to have, we need to have a proper perspective so let's be clear about this. God isn't calling you to just, he doesn't reward stupidity. That's something my mom told me a lot. I wonder why. Probably because I had a lot of stupidity as a kid. But my mom, she, you know, and I used to like, oh, you know, God's, God's going to protect me. And I'm jumping off of cliffs and bridges and uh, all sorts of dumb things, right? And my mom used to, God doesn't reward stupidity. Right? And so he's not calling you to like run headlong into the fire, have this martyr mentality uh, based on nudges and urges uh, of, or even the wisdom of worldly people. God isn't calling you to go do something stupid. You don't need to look for opportunities to be martyred. All right? That's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about is being willing to make sacrifices, to be willing to be persecuted, obeying God needs to be the highest priority of your life, right? So we know in John 15 that the world will hate us because they hate him, all right? And sometimes that hate looks a little different. And sometimes that hate is based off of how much we're living for Christ or not also, 
But it, it's not a going in and trying to stir things up, right? And so we know that living rightly as a Christian brings with it the potential to be persecuted. We don't look for persecution or opposition. Uh, according to Romans 12, 18, it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And so we're not supposed to be just trying to stir things up as Christians. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. However, if, if you are living a life pleasing to God, your life is going to make unbelievers uncomfortable. You can only have so close of a relationship with unbelievers, right? So think about this for a minute. I know it's been a while, but I've done it before. Probably all of you have heard it. But just think about this for a little bit. Anybody in here ever tell a lie? All right. Has anybody in here ever told a lie and then probably one of your siblings, but somebody else starts telling the truth and exposing your lie? How do you feel towards that person that's sharing the truth? Yeah, thumbs down, right? You, you get angry towards them. Why? Because they're bringing the light of the truth on the lie or the, or the bad deed. The, you're the one that broke the picture or the vase, and all of a sudden your little sister is the one telling on you, right? And you get angry towards them. Are they the one that broke the picture of the vase? No, right? Your anger should be towards you. But when you're trying to suppress the truth, you become angry at the truth because the truth exposes what's truly in your heart. And so if you are living rightly as a Christian, when people start getting really close to you, they aren't going to like that because you living rightly is going to expose the desires of their heart because it is guaranteed 100%. If they are not a Christian, they are suppressing the truth. Romans 1 tells us this. Suppressing the truth, they believe the lie. God has, has shown us through creation his existence. God has placed it in the conscience of man. Every person knows that God exists. He has given them, it's called general revelation. It is for everybody to see. But we also know that creation and the conscience are what saves you, right? It's the gospel that's the power of God to salvation. That's called special revelation. Okay, but general revelation is enough. And so as you're living that way, I, I got a job at a cement plant. And when you start off at the cement plant, you have to start, it's called the yard crew. All right. Now, when I say cement plant, I'm not talking about the wet mix. I'm talking about the dry powder that we would put into bags and sell to the stores or put in tr trains or trucks. Right. And so 
big plant, had its own quarry, a limestone quarry, all these conveyor belts running rock and all this stuff, dust just creates. And one of the jobs is, uh, of the yard crew is you walk around sometimes with just a wheelbarrow and a shovel and you've got to shovel up the dust that builds up underneath the belts so it doesn't rise up to the point where it's rubbing on the belts and wears the belts out and then it breaks down equipment, right? And I'm talking about a lot of dust, like several times a day you're having to go through and shovel this up. Sometimes if you're lucky, you had a skid steer around and you could load it in the bucket like that. But one of my first days on the job, I am there with a couple other guys and I, we're just shoveling and I'm shoveling like crazy and I'm going strong and it's, it's long into the day, right? And so I'm loading up this wheelbarrow and then this guy, I didn't, didn't even know him, he shows up and he's, he's driving a payloader. Uh, and he shows up, and he gets out, and he comes over, and he just kind of gets close to me. He says, you need to slow down. You're making us look bad. So, no, (laughs) I didn't say this. I'm new to the job. I want to get, you know, but actually, you're making you look bad. I'm doing what's expected of me. I'm trying to work hard. You know, the, the friend that asks you to not tell on them, that's not a friend. If they were a friend, they wouldn't ask you to suppress the truth. If they were a friend, they wouldn't put you in that position, in that moral dilemma. Will you understand that when your coworker does something wrong or bad, even if it's an accident, and they look at you and they say, will you please not tell somebody? That's not a friend. They're telling you you're not a good friend if you don't suppress the truth. A friend would not ask somebody to do that, would not put you in that moral. Will you run from those people? Do not make those people the closest influences in your lives. They're demonstrating to you where their heart is. They are a me first person, and that is not what we as Christians are called to do and called to be. Paul is not being a me first Christian. He's saying, I know that trials and afflictions await for me, but I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Do you understand that you are bound by the Holy Spirit that lives in you if you're a Christian to obey the commands of Scripture? You are bound, not physically, God's not going to drag you kicking and screaming. But this is the will of God. And it goes a lot better for you if you don't fight against God. Because his will will be done. And see, you can joyfully be a part of that. This is what it means when James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And when endurance has its perfect work, you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Trials are going to come. If somebody tells you accept Jesus and all your problems are going to go away and life is going to be grand and easy, that's hogwash. Run from them. That's a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. Trials are going to come. Christ says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also because of me, right? And so we understand and know that trials are going to come, but who do you want to fight against? Do you want to be fighting against the creator and owner of the universe? Or do you want to be fighting against the enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil? 
It's about where, where your priorities are, right? Sin is laziness. Sin is easy. It's about the temporary pleasure for the moment. I'm going to do what feels good right now for this very minute, and then you get that gratification, and then it flees. Sin is pleasure for a season, and it flees, and it runs away, and then you need to fill that again. That's why the addict becomes an addict. Put to it whatever you want to. I know your mind automatically runs to drugs. You could be addicted to so many different things. But that's why the addict becomes the addict, because that, that feeling is never filled. They always need more. People say, I don't want to become a Christian because I don't want to be bound to all the rules. I don't want to be a slave to this God. Go talk to the person. I watched my dad wrestle with cigarettes for all of my childhood. A professing believer, by, by what I can tell, I think he is a believer, <clears throat> he wrestled with smoking. Tell me he wasn't a slave to those cigarettes. I watched him try to quit time and time again. That's not freedom. Where is your priorities, right? What are you working for if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside you that is binding you to obey the commands of God. Don't fight against God. Think about, let's go back there to Jonah, right? You guys know Jonah and the whale. He was a prophet of God. God calls him and says, go to Nineveh. It's not even, a, not even necessarily a threat of persecution. It's the fact that Jonah doesn't like the people of Nineveh because they were horrible people and they did at one time persecute. And Jonah probably even has family members, maybe even himself has, has understood and experienced some of the, the persecution of the people of Nineveh. And the reason why Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh is because he doesn't want those people to repent. He thinks they deserve to be punished by God. See, Jonah's idea of what justice is was trumped what God's idea of justice was in his mind. So Jonah wanted just He it really, in a way, is saying, God, that's not just. They deserve to be squished by you. They deserve to be snuffed out by you because they are horrible people. Do you understand how arrogant that is? For Jonah to say, God, I know better. I'm a, he was a prophet of God. Do you understand? He received direct revelation from God. God gave him messages to be the mouthpiece to give to other people. And he's saying, this isn't fair. I know it's better. Do you understand how arrogant that is? Do you understand how arrogant it is that you would sit and say, God, I know your word says this. I know your word says, children, obey your parents. But you don't know my parents. They're not fair. They're hard. They're unbelievers. It, it's not a stipulation in God's word. you understand that? It's not a stipulation in God's word. The only time you get to not obey your parents is if they ask you to sin against God's word. God trumps your parents, but your parents trump all the others. 
children obey your parents. How arrogant that we would sit there and say, no, let me, let me bring it to something that's really going to hurt some of you. How arrogant it is to say, the speed limit's too low on this road. I'm just going to go ahead and drive how I think it should be. Are you supposed to obey rules and authorities? I know, that's a shot to the heart. That hurts. I don't like it. It's like that, that road, uh, Grandview, 30 miles an hour? Come on. That's way too low. <laughs> Especially when I'm running late for church. <laughs> right? How arrogant that I think I know better than God. I'm talking about the little things. Do you understand? It's in the little things that these things happen. A lot of times we're looking for these big moments, right? It's in the day-to-day. Most of your life, I hate to break it to you teenagers, most of your life is going to be boring. And it is lived in the everyday, the mundane. It is getting up and going to work. It is getting up and taking care of your kids and getting their school started and cooking meals and folding laundry. It's going to work and it's coming home. And all of a sudden you're realizing there's not enough time in the day to do all the things you want to do. And it was like so exciting when you were your age, right? Because you got to get together with your buddies and go hang out at Culver's and go, you know, go swim in here or go to the top golf. Enjoy it. Soak it up. Nothing wrong with that. But soak it, but realize and recognize that this is to be lived out in those moments. Like, it, seriously, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's about dealing with difficulty with a proper way. Few of us will be faced with the level of persecution that's facing Paul, right? That's big. He is, it's being testified to him. Not just, okay, so he's, he's got this by the Spirit, but also it's like he's going to towns and prophets just keep popping up, and they're going to pop up here later on in the chapter too. It, it, like people are telling him, you're going to be persecuted. As the men that God gives revelation to are speaking to Paul and saying, hey, bonds await you. Good things aren't coming. Paul's conversion when, when uh, the Lord speaks to Ananias and tells him to go uh, and find a man named Saul, and uh, I have revealed to him, and he's supposed to come find you. Go find him. And Ananias is like, I've heard of this guy. He persecutes Christians. God, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure this is right? And God says, yeah, I am going to show him what great things he must suffer for my sake. This was Paul's, his very conversion, God said, you're going to suffer. Paul knows what's coming, and he is going to it with full confidence that whatever lies ahead is for his good and God's glory. Excuse me. So think about this. If don't think too hard about it. I don't want to scare anybody, right? But if a gunman came in the room right now and he said, you either deny Christ or you die for your faith, 
what would you do besides, I'm going to fight, okay? We'll take that off the table. I know you got your pocket knife and you're ready to roll, okay? But take that off the table. You have the two choices is to deny Christ or, or be killed right here and now. What would you do? I actually have a lot of confidence that I feel like most of you would be willing to lay down your life for your faith. I truly believe that most of you would be willing to do that. So my question to you now is, if you're willing to die for your faith, are you willing to live for your faith? Because that's what you're called to do. That's what Paul is saying when he says in Philippians 1, 20 and 21, according to my earnest expectations and hopes that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether it be by my life or by my death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what you're called to do. See, that, that culminating moment, yes, it's against the law to be a Christian, and I am willing to go to jail to face persecution to do that. Are you willing to live as a Christian? Are you willing to take up your cross daily and follow after him? That means in those conversations in school, or at work, when people are going to pick on you because you are a Christian. I used to get picked on when I first, <clears throat> when I, I met this amazing girl, the most beautiful woman I have ever laid eyes on, to the, to the fact that I sold my truck and bought a car that was good on gas mileage so I could drive to Ohio every other weekend to see her. And eventually I moved to Ohio. I quit my job and I moved to Ohio. I got a job at a landscaping company. And uh, at the landscaping, I won't go into great details. It's a rough group of guys, total secular landscaping company. And of course, they want to talk about perverted things. And at this point, for some reason, she said yes. And so now I'm engaged to her. And the guys, they started joking about sexual things. And they started prodding me. And I told them that I was pure as far as, I'm just using some different words. But, and, and we were waiting. We were saving ourselves for marriage. The nicknames I got, the ridicule I got for seeking to be sexually pure before a marriage. It was, it was hard. It was embarrassing. Why? I don't know. Because I wanted, to be, I wanted people to like me. Who, who here doesn't want people to like them? Right? You want people? And so this is now what I'm picked on so, about all the time. It's things like that. Are you going to make up stories? Are you going to dodge the bullet? Are you going to say things or try to even do things that, that you shouldn't be doing to, to try to be accepted by 
people that are slaves to the world, the flesh, and the devil? Or are you going to be trying to make decisions that are pleasing to Christ? Are you going to be pressing on towards that goal? That's what taking up your cross. It's crucifying yourself daily. God understands this isn't easy. That's why he describes it as work. You know how I talked about how sin is easy because it's laziness, right? Sin is laziness. It's a living for the moment. Pursuing holiness takes work. That's why people don't do it because it's hard work. But that's the work that you're called to do. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Why? Because your labor is in the Lord. Knowing your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The work you do in the Lord is not in vain. By implication, the work you do apart from the Lord is in vain. When you get to heaven, the best case scenario is that's wood, hay, and stubble. And it's going to be burnt up and gone. When you get to heaven, what's going to be standing before you? When you salvation is salvation. If you're a child of God, you're a child of God and you'll be in heaven. But are you going to watch everything just be burnt up because you lived for the flesh here on earth? By the way, that is a true mark. If all you're doing is living for the flesh, you really do need to examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith or not. But even those Christians that have just decided to go and live for themselves, right? They're going to watch all of that be burnt up. Or do you want... To get to heaven and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You're faithful over a few things, and I'm going to make you rule over many. You're going to get a crown. You know, I used to think it was bad. I was like, I wrestled with the motives about wanting to do works to earn things in heaven, because doesn't that seem wrong and selfish, right? And then I realized, it's like, I want the biggest, baddest crown, huge gold jewels popping everywhere, because what I'm going to do with that crown is I'm going to lay it at the feet of Jesus. Because that's, that's what I'm laying to him and I'm saying, this is what I think of you. This is what I think you're worth. Because this is, this is what I did on earth as a, as a display of my love and commitment to you. And so are you gonna, what are you going to lay at the feet of Jesus to show him your appreciation and gratitude? You're not earning, you're not paying back, but this is, this is what I think of you. That's what you're working for. Those rewards that, that are given to Christ to demonstrate and display what you hold his value to be. What an amazing privilege you have to be able to do that. A demonstration of love. You have God-given resources to be able to accomplish this. <clears throat> you have his word. I'm not going to go into all of these uh, in depth. I'll give you references. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, uh, accurately handling the word of truth. You have his word. He's given you everything you need to be approved by him. Be in his word. You have prayer. James chapter 4 tells us, you do not have because you do not ask. And then later on, he even goes into saying, when you ask, you ask with the wrong motives. If your motives are to glorify God, we, we treat God like a spiritual Santa Claus, right? It's like, this is what I want. This is my wish list. Let me rub the bottle and the genie comes out. 
If your desire is that God is glorified in your life, he will answer that prayer, right? That needs to be the motive, though, the desire of your heart. And when it doesn't turn out the way that you think it should turn out, you recognize and say, okay, this is how God is glorified. Let's go. Let's move on. Count it joy. He is giving you a church body. Take today's sermon, insert it here. He is giving you a church body, right? Read Ephesians 4. He has given us uh, leaders, teachers. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. He has given us his word. He has given us each other to be iron sharpening iron. He has given us the church to be able to work through the church to use our giftedness to impact the world, to go and preach the gospel and make more disciples. You understand that God's grace upon you is oftentimes distributed through the church. Do you understand? When, uh, when he is commissioning Peter and he says, on you I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Do you understand? The gates of hell will not stand against the church. You need the church. We're not just looking for people to come serve so that we can function as like some country club and you get to do these different jobs. You need the church. This is a haven. This is a city of refuge. Refuse. Or not, yeah, refuse. It's, it's where you come for protection, all right? This is, this is a safe haven. This is where people care about your souls. They love you enough to come to you and call you out when you're in sin. Do you understand how hard that is? Any conversations I have ever had to have with any of you that you would view in the negative where I've had to make corrections or ask you even how it's going, do you understand how hard that is for me? I don't like that. It's uncomfortable. And as much as I don't like to admit it, I I want you guys to like me too. And so to be that person to have to come and say something to you, that's not easy. I don't like that. But I love the Lord enough and I love you enough to be willing to be the bad guy, to be willing to have you not like me for the sake at some point, hopefully sooner than later, you would repent or you would pursue holiness with more vigor. Because I could stand up here and, and just blow sunshine and rainbows all over the place, right? And you can get that anywhere. That's not what we're doing here. We're giving you God's word because I love you enough to tell you hard things so that you would know what the truth is so that when you get to heaven, you get to lay that big bad crown at the feet of Jesus because you understand the value of who he is. Paul understands the value of who he is. So in closing, let me ask you a couple questions. Do you see yourself as bound by the Spirit to obey God's commands? Do you live for Christ? Do you study his word so that you know how to obey it? Do you pray often and do you pray with the right motives? Do you view the church and all its resources as God's gift to you as a means of living out your faith? Think about those. Ask yourself those. Examine yourself truthfully and honestly. And then 
as I've been saying a lot lately, seems to be one of my favorites now, is don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. Thank you for your truths. I thank you for those that have gone before us and lived these examples before us and how we can learn from them. Lord, uh, we recognize that we are weak. We are frail. We're not as strong as we want to be, think we are. We need you. We need your help. And so, Father, I pray that you would just continue to guide us through your word. You would get, convict us with your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to, to hate sin, to put that off, to pursue holiness. And, Father, that we would pursue righteousness wherever you would take us. Lord, that we would be bound by the Spirit to your word, that we wouldn't fight like Jonah, but that we would submit like Paul. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.